since I I started this, maybe I should start first. Maybe we'll just do one, like somebody gives one and we'll just talk about it and kind of just go from there. Does that sound like a, a solid, yes, I like solid plan? Dang, just a little humble brag. I started this. So No, no, no. I meant like, <laughs> like I, I started I started this podcast. I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, here we are. It's the first roundtable of the new year. It's BCR number 89. And that means we're going to be making our big, bold predictions for 2024. Now, some of them might just be good guesses, and some of them might be coming from left field. And maybe some of them are a little dreary at times as well. But I really think you're going to like this as the roundtable comes together to see what's going to be in store for American whiskey and bourbon in this upcoming year. With that, cheers, everybody. I hope you like this episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Cade Sterling, who writes me on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Hey, Fred, I was going through a tasting of eight products recently to write a review of Redwood Empire's lineup and found that I drank so much water, I almost made myself sick despite not drinking that much whiskey. I know you've mentioned using a spittoon in the past for big tasting days at spirit competitions. Could you provide some advice on how to best use a spittoon and comment on whether anything is lost. I'm especially concerned I may not be able to evaluate the finish without swallowing the spirit. That is a great question, Cade Sterling. And frankly, it's the kind of question that lets me know that you are knocking on the door for the big leagues, because this is a big league question. To me, it's very amateurish when, when someone is afraid to ask a question about spitting to be a professional taster. Because the fact of the matter is, if you are going to be a professional, a professional taster, and you have to taste 100, 200, 300, 400 spirits over the course of a day, a weekend, even possibly a week, if you drink all of those, you could die. You could just straight up die. But the fact is, you cannot drink all that liquid in a spirits competition. You just cannot. But what you can do is you can train your palate to understand what a finish will feel like on your tongue without swallowing it. Now, this will apply for probably 95% of the bourbons that you will receive. There's probably about 5% of them that you cannot actually assess the full finish by just your tongue. So what I mean by that, after you spit, Focus on how impactful is it on your tongue? How many parts of the tongue do you feel it? And you can feel the intensity of it. That intensity of how many places it is on your tongue, that is essentially the equivalent of the finish. That intensity would still be there if you didn't spit. So that is the finish, and that works for 95% of the spirits out there. Some of them that it doesn't work with are some of the older products like a 23-year Pappy, uh, the 25-year Michters, some of them like that that have a lot of age on them, they tend to 
show more response after you swallowed. But here's the deal. You can you can sometimes determine that you think that this is an older product and you can choose to swallow like one of them in a flight. But you were talking specifically about you know the flight of eight and drinking too much water. I've been there before, actually. I've been waterlogged. And you, you do have to be careful that everything gets a balance. But eight products, like, you know, that is, that's a healthy amount. And that's probably going to be just fine to swallow all those as long as you're not drinking two ounces. You know, I mean, I don't know how you're drinking these, Cade, but I, I would tell you that the spitting part is very, very important. And in terms of what you use, I like two instruments for mine. I like to use a... Uh, I like to use something that I can, it's hard to explain, actually. <laughs> I like to use uh, mixing tins. So tins that would be used for making making cocktails. I like to use that. And I like to use like coffee mugs. You want something that's going to have, not going to have splashback, but that's probably way too gross for most people out there. But it is a part of the business. If you don't spit after you taste, you're not going to make it in this business. If you're just here to have fun, that's fine. You know, do that once in a while. But if you want to be in the big leagues, you're going to have to spit eventually. That's going to do it for the this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you want to be like Kate, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button. And if I like the idea, I'll read it on the air. Till next week. Cheers. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000273. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Hey everyone, this is Bourbon Community Roundtable number 89, and of course you're listening to Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Mr. Cecil here tonight, leading this thing as we talk to our friends from the roundtable, but this is going to be the first roundtable of the year. We're going to hit roundtable 100 this year, close to about 
November, December timeframe. So this is going to be a big year. I predict we're going to hit episode 100 of, of Barbie Community Roundtable. What number are we on? Oh, 89. Never mind. I can see it 89. right here. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Happy New Year to everyone. Excited. It's been 2023 was a very interesting year in the world of whiskey. And yeah, interested to see everybody's thoughts and opinions. I've been stewing on this for quite some time, you know, just as a whiskey fan, but also as a whiskey brand. And then you're just like, what the hell is going to happen this year? Because 2023, you had the, the two pandemic years and you had this year, past year, which was kind of strange and confusing, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah, it was interesting. I think we will we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it in depth. And I think as one of the things that we'll go through here is that we'll be able to have everybody give a prediction and we'll kind of discuss a little bit, talk about whether we see it actually happening. And perhaps maybe there's an angle that somebody might have missed that said, well, what about this way? So we'll, of course, dive into it because this is going to be our big show of the year where people get to see exactly about this time in December to figure out how bad did we miss it? some whiffs maybe a few strikes maybe uh maybe a maybe we got a single who knows i am sad we won't get to hear fred predict four roses getting bought for the fifth <laughs> consecutive year so yeah. who knows 24 it could be the year that's it yes yeah yeah that's actually all i came here to say was that four roses is going to get get purchased in 2024 Fred sent me and yeah we're seal box looking at your penthouse in the background <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's actually his penthouse is higher than most of their Rick houses. That's right. <laughs> Got more tears than that. Yeah, he sure does. Well, all right, we'll just go ahead. Uh, Blake, go ahead and open it up for us since you spoke first and we'll go a quick introduction. Yeah, Blake from Sealbox. Excited to be here in the year of our 100th episode. I think I'm going to refer to it as that from now on. But thanks for having me. Always fun to be on this one and never want to miss chance to give wrong predictions. So hopefully it'll be a fun one. Yes, it sure will. And Brian, go ahead, chime in. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on number 89. Brian was sipping corn, bourbon justice and all that. And Blake, do you actually have a counter on the number of episodes you've been in? Is it has it's not been 89, oh, it, right? It, it, it's it's easy. You just look at the number of it's, the ECRs. And it's you so go, from, from episode one on, this. you know, I knew it was yeah, a lot, but yeah. come on. I mean, I'm going to claim that. Nobody's going to actually go back and track well, it for that's, sure, that's but trouble. I'm going to claim all 89. <laughs> yeah. Well, gosh. Well, then I'm happy to be part of year 100 for Blake and the round, trade, round table. So looking forward to this one. I've got some absolutely wrong predictions. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Me and you both. Let's. We'll just go ahead and line them all up. We'll see how many strikes we can get this year. All right, Nick, go ahead. Hey, everybody. Nick from Breaking Bourbon here. I have not been on as many as Blake as we typically rotate through the other uh, couple guys too, but does jog a memory. I do remember the first time that we were on as uh, the interview with breaking bourbon, talking about the bourbon storage experiment. I want to say it was like one of the first 15 episodes or something like that, but I don't even think we were doing it on video at that point. It might've just been audio or something. So it's just crazy to think how, how long ago that was. And now we're, and I think we even talked a little bit about a roundtable type of thing or some kind of ongoing thing at, you know, when we were, we were chatting uh, at that time too, but it's just crazy to think we're going to be hitting a hundred at this point. So glad to be here. Glad the audience is here. These are always a, a ton of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and let's dive into it since I, 
I started this. Maybe I should start first. Maybe we'll just do one, like somebody gives one and we'll just talk about it and kind of just go from there. Does that sound like a, a solid, yes, I like solid plan? Dang, just a little humble brag. I started this. So No, no, no. I meant like, <laughs> like I, I, started, I started this podcast. I'll go first. <laughs> Dang, I, thought, I didn't know. I thought Fred was not here. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean it like that. I meant just like I started talking first. Like, I don't know. It's problem is I don't know how to shut myself up once I do start talking. So that's it just continues to word vomit after that. You get the first Thanks wrong for, prediction, Kenny. Yeah, let me get <laughs> the we'll first all do our, our own wrong predictions. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's my I've actually got six that I have, but we'll see if we get to them. So the first one and maybe it's it's me that's just kind of like notice the trajectory. But I have a feeling that Penelope, even though we all called it or a few of us called it last year that they were going to be acquired. I think in 24, they're going to be even bigger than we ever expected. And this is because we are starting to see the uptick of a mid-tier brand. But what, what they're also doing is they are also packaging it in such a way that it's reaching mass demographics. It's reaching mass audiences. Their branding is to the point where it spills over into different demographics and everything like that. And... Mike Palladini even dropped something on his Instagram or his Facebook Live or sorry, it's a story not too long ago that showed a, a new line extension that coming from the from them as well. So when I think about how like how what brand can get bigger than they already are, I see Penelope growing probably two X even more than they are now. And that's just because now that they have Ross and Squibb behind them. They're going to have a lot more power. They're going to have a lot more whiskey, and they've got this massive sales force. So if I had to guess, I'm going to say that's going to be really one of the brands that's going to just completely skyrocket in 24 beyond anybody else's imagination. That's a pretty good one because I can see it. You know, you see it's like I get on Instagram and Dan Penelope feeds on me, and it's like 50 stories of people like tagging, posting their bottles of what they got. You know, there's store picks of architect, you name it, Valencia, whatever, everywhere. People are just really latching onto it. And for a lot of good reasons, they've done a, a great job. It's, you know, it's not a crazy price point. It's re re relatively affordable. It's good liquid. Like you said, Ed, the package appeals to a lot of folks. I, I did see the, you know, whatever the state. And I was like, wow, it looks just like BTEC. <laughs> it looks like a spitting image of BTEC. But yeah, I mean, but for them to double, you know, I've always heard this from people in the industry to really scale a brand, you have to really nail the on-premise and still at that those price points. I mean, they have the white label, you know, the on-premise is still like kind of where you have to like, that's where your brand really explodes. So, you know, if they can get something that's in that sub $30 range, and they probably can now with, you know, MGP being the, you know, the main, you know, the the main person in this now they can get their cost of goods down so yeah it's i think i like that prediction kenny i actually had that as one of my six as well 100 percent agree with that you know from the beginning mike you know mike was has always been the guy he just called liquor stores he just called retailers he just called people you know they tag you had people that tag them they share you know people that reach out to them he talks 
you know, has always gotten back to them. Just a very connected brand with people. And I think it's gonna be interesting to see now, like having MGP, the full kind of breadth of what's there. I don't think we've ever been able to really see that because everything has been some of your source from MGP, try to do something with it, maybe not much, maybe blend it a little bit, whatever. I think we're really going to see the boundaries of MGP kind of get pushed and see some cool stuff coming out within the branding that also has a different kind of feel to it. I mean, you know, Penelope named after Mike's daughter, you know, so it has somewhat of a kind of more female oriented branding to it, which is different than most of the things you see on the shelf. They tend to be, you know, kind of the, you know, the traditional, you know, darker colors, the blacks, the browns, things like that. So I think it attracts with some of these brighter colors, like Rio really catches the eye with that color. You know, I, I have, in fact, the latest breaking the seal and drinking that right now, surprisingly, or ironically, I should say, you know, it just, it catches the eye with that tall bottle, just like BTAC does, as somebody mentioned before, it looks kind of like BTAC. I think they're poised. I agree 100%. I think they're poised to just explode this year. I'm excited to see what they do, too. I think that's one where we'll look back and think, like, wow, MGP got a steal just at the growth. And, you know, I love Mike and Danny, so I hate to talk so nice it's about them publicly when everybody else has. <laughs> but, you know, I think they're just doing the right stuff. They're connecting with people. They're it, it's different enough. It's in the price point people like. And, you know, we, we see it a lot on Sealbox where brands come on and sometimes we don't understand what, where the enthusiasm comes from. And with Penelope, it's like, yeah, we, we get it. So obviously very exciting for them. And I hate that we're kind of going around the round table and just talking about how right Kenny is about this prediction. <laughs> but <laughs> I think it's I, I guaranteed to, to fail, the, uh, the, you know, naysayer somewhere but <laughs> no i think that's a good one yeah are we supposed to have six predictions no 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 yeah, this is a three is hour that... oh. round table <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like oh geez very unprepared no well, um blake go ahead I and mean, hit us with your prediction give we, us one. we didn't get brian we'll on that commentary yeah so, oh yeah brian uh, you have anything to say well so, brian go ahead i don't disagree i don't disagree with any of that but i i'll admit now on on live air I've never, I haven't really found my Penelope. I'm not the hugest fan. I probably agree with what you've said about it, how it's it's poised to take off. But let's just say I'm not the most excited about it. And, you know, maybe I need to learn, maybe I need to drink more with you guys to find out why. And this is, I think we have, Ryan and I, we've always discussed this at length. We sit back and we look at brands. We kind of figure out what's working, what's not working, where they hitting and stuff like that. And Penelope just hit the right time in the right place. They're not hitting the OG bourbon people. Mm -hmm. They're not, right? That's that's not what they really care about. Of course, they're going to drop a maybe a 9 to 15-year-old MGP. And so people are like, oh, cool. The very old scout is back again. But that's not going to be their mainstay. Their mainstays of your Valencia, your toasted, your whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're hitting today's modern bourbon consumer that's for lack of a better term, chasing a trend. And they're just trying to find like, what's next? What's, what's this different flavor? Not really looking at like, what was really good bourbon from what we were used to when we kind of really got into this and, you know, 2012 to 2015 timeframe that where is, we got it. We were kind of spoiled. That is a very kind and, and absolutely hundred percent correct way of saying my, I'm old. I mean, it, that, that sort of checks out. I mean, that's you, you described what I'm looking for and I think what they offer. Yeah, I think 
the last comment. I think they've been brilliant in understanding what there has been so many new bourbon drinkers and they've been brilliant at figuring out how do we appeal to them and their product lines have really, you know, with all the finishing, the toasted, the Rio, you know, which is, you know, people that have been drinking whiskey for a long time that necessarily won't appeal to them. But, you know, new people who are like, oh, I like this finish because it's not tasting like, you know, aged bourbon, you know, that that I've been I've had for my grandpa or whatever. It's just, you know, this new kind of, you know, different thing that that excites like new younger drinkers for sure. All right. Somebody go take another prediction. Well, building off. Oh, we'll let, let go. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna okay. I was gonna say I can jump in. So I, I think two two things that will stick out to me here is one, I think it's the year of like the niche bourbon. We've seen it a bunch on Sealbox where it's bourbons become so pervasive in all these different industries. You you start to see whatever niche is like like, oh, we can have a product that is bourbon based and relates to our audience because obviously they're gonna be into it. I think we'll see a lot more of that. So it's not like necessarily just a celebrity bourbon at that point. It's just you know, whether it's baseball or golf or, you know, whatever it is, I think we'll see a lot more of that coming on. And then I also think, and I think it's David Taub said this on Twitter or no, it was Matt Cusick. So I won't, uh, I'll give him his credit, but he was talking about how I think craft has really come a long way. And whereas I feel like I've been preaching that for a while, I think the amount of craft whiskey we have, that's, you know, six plus years, and at the same time, it's kind of been beneficial that the big guys are, you, you know, they're now charging $300, $400, $500 a bottle, makes craft so much more accessible to people and interesting for that. So I think we finally hit that switch, you know, and, and craft and major distilleries are starting to change roles in that. Just because we see better craft coming on the market, do you think this is going to be something that the larger companies have to start responding to in different ways? Is it going to be through new products? Is it going to be through acquisitions? Like, what? how do you think the people that are your Diageos, your Heaven Hills, your Pernos, like, how are they going to respond if all of a sudden, but I think Ben Holiday, great example. People are, it's just, it's taking off. People are talking about it. They make a great product. Now, how does a how does somebody else kind of look at that and say like okay like do we need to model something do we need to acquire them do we need to shut them down like how, like what what does a, a big person try to try to do in that scenario yeah to me it's it's following the path a little bit of the craft brewing where it becomes an acquisition game where everybody of any you know notoriety is getting acquired but it's a little tougher because there's not as many players out there for acquisition. But I think that will be how it plays out. But, you know, in general, the big guys are still always two to three years behind what the enthusiasts want. And we see that with them now coming out with Toasted and all this other stuff. So I think it's a mix. But mainly, I think we'll just see a lot more acquisitions in 2024. So there's prediction number three. All right. Well, before we get into acquisitions, anybody else want to respond to one of two of Blake's predictions there? Yeah, I, I agree with Blake. I mean, one of my predictions was going to be, you, you said Penelope was going to, is poised for growth. I think a brand like Still Austin is really poised for growth. That was, I've been, not, I've been so impressed with everything they've put out. 
it appeals to a seasoned drinker. It appeals to a new drinker. I think they just, they have cool packaging. So I, I'm on this bandwagon that, you know, you have Ben Holiday was a great example. I think there's just these great little distilleries popping up that are taking, you know, not just traditional craft methods. They're using pot still distillation and local grains, whatever. They're But they're taking Kentucky methods of column still distillation. They're taking Kentucky methods, but making it their own and they're putting out really good stuff. So I, I see brands kind of like that just ex- really growing as you know the the I, I just agree with blake that's all i'll say <laughs> as we all should. and and i'm with blake on the on the niche side of it i agree with that we're gonna i think things are gonna take over what used to be single barrels that you used to do for a you know a, a larger subgroup you're gonna have folks finding a way to have a a brand just for them, a little sub brand. And it's going to be, you know, whatever the, you know, the sporting event is, it's going to have its own brand. Teams will have their own brand. I kind of agree that it's going to go that direction. So you have this, you know, micro niche bourbon brands. So you really think micro niche, let's say you're thinking like every NFL team is going to have some sort of branded bourbon that people could buy well i think you know the titans will have some tennessee whiskey that you know is, is kind of sub branded so not not all of them but the the ones who have some connection by their state or by their by whatever community they're in if it's if it's a big spirits community are going to be doing that just to show that your your team pride and all that and and companies will do it for events and all those sorts of things so i, I agree with blake on that one well to the point where like it doesn't even have an outside connotation to say like, oh, a local distiller. Like this is this is our, yeah, I don't know. This is coming from Chattanooga whiskey. If we're gonna say it's the, the Titans or whatever, right? Like it doesn't even have that. Like it is just strictly branded Tennessee sourced whatever, and it, I, I it is just all Titans. I think it'll have to come from the big guys, unfortunately, because of the excess that they have which is going to lead to one of my predictions. But I, I think that's where it's going to come from. I, I think they're not going to be smart enough to find the Chattanoogas and the and the smaller crafts or the smaller producers. They're going to have to go with excess from the big guys. Yeah, and with that, because you'll have to look at cost too. They can't buy from craft producers. And, right. put, and when you're trying to appeal to an NFL fan who has, you know, their tops, they'll spend – you know, maybe 40, 50 bucks on a bottle, you know, that's branded them, you know, but I don't see much more than that. You see that with makers and Kentucky bottles, they're priced, what, at 35, 40 bucks, maybe more. But anyways, yeah, you saw Baltimore Ravens, Sagamore did a Baltimore Ravens release recently, which had Sagamore's own distillate, but they are, you know, based there in Maryland and have a pretty big facility and can get those costs down. So, which I mean, is that well, like a larger, the traveler was with, new chris stapleton and buffalo trace it's like Mm. it's a blended whiskey right i mean i haven't dug too deep into it but that doesn't like is that going to be you know a crown royal competitor or is that going to be something that people on this podcast would want to drink i mean I, i don't know i think that's where they're going with some of those collaborations just to get rid of the excess at times maybe but i could be wrong I think the I mean, traveler is supposed to be widely accessible is the position behind that. And I'm, I'm thinking of, and kind of 
piggybacks so it kind of blends with one of my predictions too thinking about the Ryder cup elijah craig release that was a hundred dollars you know made sense i think it made perfect sense for that as a kind of commemorative release and in coming off from a you know a big brand like that that could you know they could still manage the margin and, and do the special packaging and and have something that was you know going to be fairly appealing to a wide audience i do think they struggle a little bit when you think about the big beer concept you know you you can take you know a big guy can buy a little guy and just increase production dramatically i think they they kind of run into that that hurdle if if they don't have the production at their facility you know they have to figure out and manage that and they can't just necessarily turn around turn it around in such a short amount of time either so i think that presents the challenge where as little guy you have to get big enough to be able to be an appealing to someone else that is going to both acquire you and make margins on a go forward basis and a perfect example as we were just talking about is mgp with penelope i mean i don't think you can think of a better opportunity for acquisition with growth like that and so when you start thinking about the still austins and you know some of these others you know you have a great connection with a great brand but a big guy's also going to be looking for, are we going to be able to get the production? Uh, is that scalable to the extent that we're going to be able to be profitable from it? I think that's where you run into the hurdles that you just won't see the uptake like you see with craft beer. Sure, it'll be there, but I think quite a bit slower by comparison. And I think a lot of them will be a very hands-off kind of acquisition as well, especially if they really like what they're doing, unless they see a whole new direction for the company. Very cool. So All I'll, right, who's got another one? I got one. I'll throw one in. Go. So uh, very specific. I think we're going to see, seems natural that we're going to see an Elijah, Elijah Craig barrel proof rye come out. Just like we've seen everything come through. We got the Elijah Craig barrel proof. We got Larceny barrel proof. We got the Bernheim barrel proof. I think we're going to see the rye. It makes sense. That would be next. I think it's probably going to be two releases a year similar to Bernheim, but that would seem to fit their portfolio perfectly. Damn. I'm rooting for I feel for like that. you just you just rolled out their uh, press release for them. It'll be two times <laughs> a year. It is to complete the uh, trifecta of barrel proof releases. It's yeah. <laughs> I will say this uh, yeah. is based on zero inside information. It is purely a prediction. So is it a is it a wish list prediction or uh yeah it's that too it's yeah when you think Man, predictions i, I do yeah. think wish list as well it's, it's usually start there i usually think in the positive direction yeah yeah i like it well, yeah i mean it, there's a that one dude ryan put in here you know it's like yeah pikesville rye barrel proof would be nice same thing written house <laughs> barrel proof and that's that's what i'm saying i was like it's all the same stuff in a different bottle just at different proof points and i guess when you think about branding of course, Elijah Craig is going to be that particular brand in their portfolio. They would probably align it with more than anything else. Yeah, and Elijah Craig just has like, I think it's probably their fastest growing skew, and it just has this appeal to, you know, and it's, and it's a more profitable product, I think, for them because they're able to charge more. You know, obviously, it's a little higher age than most of the other products, but definitely has more appeal to whiskey fans and common drinkers alike. Very good. I like that. That Nick. was a good one. I, Nick. I didn't right even on think point. of that. That's brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I hope they do it. Yeah. All right, Brian, your turn. Hit us with one. All right. Well, Nick, Nick tried to go positive. I, I kind of, 
I, I went a little negative, so I'll give you all the <laughs> warning on that. I have somebody that's the yeah. half, gla- or half glass empty kind of person. So yeah, and I'm not usually that way, but for this prediction, I am, and it kind of relates to my earlier comment about the big guys having all the excess. They got a, a slight le- reprieve from January one, and the ex- and the taxes, the tariffs going up, but you know that's only temporary. They've all been producing nonstop here for now, six years. They've all got warehouses everywhere and they're all full. I think we are going to see in 2024, the first layoffs from Big Bourbon. I think this benefits craft because they don't have that same exposure, but they've overproduced. They don't have the outlet for it. And I'll even call Beam is going to be the first to have to lay off. Oh, wow. And now by layoff, you mean... People, Bold. you mean people? Huh. They're they're gonna reduce the workforce because they've pr- produced too much. I hope I'm wrong. I hope there's an outlet for it, but right now there's not an outlet for what is in the warehouses. There, there's I, just I not. The math doesn't work. I, well, I, I don't know about people that. People pausing their bottling lines towards the end of the year, but you know that's more from everybody cranking way up, and maybe we just took right. a pause, but. I actually tend to agree with Brian and it sounds like Kenny doesn't. So I want to hear what he has to say and then I'll make my statement. Yeah. So when I look at this, this is not a very, I guess, manpower heavy type of industry where you've got to have tons and tons of people on the production. I mean, are you thinking production or are you thinking overall like sales? Like where, where do you see the, I mean, you see it, the rifts happening. Yeah, so you've you've got a great point. I mean, it doesn't take a team to a big team to run a still. I mean, it sort of almost just happens at some of these places, and then it gets into the warehouses pretty easily. But so I think it's going to be it's going to have to be across the board because there's not it's not on the production side where you're really intensive on that. But on it's 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 going to hit them. They've just got too much and, and no outlet. So they're they're going to have to back off somewhere. Are there attorney's uh, jobs be- safe? That's the real question. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, those are the first to go because they, they are. That. Yeah, they're not a profit center. So in-house goes first. So, like I said, the only thing that's why I asked, because when you think about production side, production doesn't need a whole lot of manpower to to sit there and operate a still, do operations, move a few barrels around, put them in trucks, dump some barrels, bottling line. A lot of that stuff is all union based anyway. So I don't really see like you would just have to fight the union at that point. Now, when you think about when you come to sales, that's it's a possibility. I mean, 2023 was a very down year for a lot of brands, especially a lot of big brands. And it wasn't hard to read that from if you listen to This Week in Bourbon, you read Mark Brown's newsletter, you saw that most brands were down 7 to 18% this past year, especially in the brown goods category. And that's not good by any means, but it's also what we've been saying is more along the lines of a market correction, just because we had a few years of just asinine buying. But the other side of this is that we look at what it was in the 70s or prior to then. Uh, we're still not to where I think, not even the 70s, I'm sorry about that. Prior to the, high, the, the highest of what whiskey consumption was in the U.S., we're still not there yet. So there's still poise for growth. Now, if I'm a Jim Beam or if I'm a 
I don't know, whomever. Well, the easiest thing you can do is just make more product lines. Uh, you make more product lines, you get it back on our store shelves, you find some damn rye whiskey and you call it, guess what? We got Booker's Rye all of a sudden. And then all of a sudden, all your rye whiskey sold, right? You, you look at, try to find the stuff that you hung your hat on a long time ago and try to ride that wave again. And I don't think it'd be hard to do that. But again, that's probably not moving the volume they probably need. Like Booker's Rye would be an awesome release, but that's not volume. Right. And unless they start opening up the new markets and we're starting to see the, the decline in what people are purchasing, it, it is going to have a little bit of a shaky go at it here soon. Well, I figured that I got all my predictions wrong when I was wishing for predictions. So if if I'm wrong on my predictions, I want to be wrong on this one. But I think there's something to be said there that maybe they've overproduced. I mean, that the curve is going up and up and up and you keep rising to meet that and it corrects it. it the stuff is hard to just move quickly. And I, I would I would tend to agree with you, Brian. I don't know exactly what it translates to in terms of actual jobs, but in terms of general production and the direction makes sense. The question is going to be, do brands, how do brands correct? I mean, uh, Kenny, you pointed out, you know, more lines going to run out of liquor store shelf space. So, I mean, that bodes well for online retail at the same time, you, you, you can only, there's only so much mind share as well. So there's 20 brands new, 50 brands new, hundred, you know, only so many of those are going to get people looking for them. So it's a, always a fight for the mind share. Brands that are smart, especially the big ones, you know, I got to believe they're looking at international markets and saying, where, where is the growth over there? How do we plan for that and tap into it? Because if you, if you think about where the real growth probably is, there's probably a ton of opportunity there. It's just a lot more tricky and it's not necessarily a space that they're comfortable playing in. It's a whole different, you know, avenue. And that's, you know, we see it already have, you know, we see them playing in that space, but I don't know that anyone really truly has those markets completely figured out. We might see more growth in those areas as a result if we are talking about such a massive glut of bourbon. Yeah. And as Kenny alluded to, a lot of these are in unions, so it's going to be impossible to do layoffs. Beam is one of those exceptions where they would be exposed to those. But I think Beam has such a strong foothold internationally that they can probably start pivoting resources to Asia Indian markets over there. Europe's still a TBD with the tariffs. They only got a year extension on that. So I know a lot of people's butt cheeks are tight <laughs> waiting for that to get permanently resolved. So it's it's TBD. I, and this might move in. And Nick kind of brought that up. It was a great point, you know, like of online sales. And I guess if we can't, we can move into another prediction. <laughs> If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. 
And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. I guess if we can't, we can move into another prediction, but I think you're going to see a really hard push for DTC laws to change in this year. Cause I think you've seen through COVID, a lot of distributed distribution has merged. A lot of distributors have bought out other distributors. There's way less distributors than there are brands these days. And I think companies are realizing that they're and distributors have been smart and they're real, they're re- relying on the brands to do all the market work, to do all the sales and do all the, the market work. And they're just becoming a logistics company. And I think brands are getting tired of that and they're going to start really investing in the online direct to consumer and doubling down on own own premise. I read that term from someone called own premise. You have the on premise, which is obviously bars and restaurants. You have off premises, which is retails. But I think companies have seen the value of having your own premise where people are wanting experiences coming to your and us coming to your place building the brand that way, saving up money to come have an experience, buy bottles there. So I, I think you see people doubling down on that. And I, I really think the DTC is going to get a big push going into this year. And this prediction is brought to you by sealbox.com. Which thank everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah. I mean, and I'll jump into a little bit of that, but I, I would agree. I think we're still not nearly as far in a lot of the, DTC stuff as we thought would be coming out of COVID, but at the end of the day, it's like I've never heard the own premise, but it, it makes sense. Like you have to control your brand, you have to control narrative, not in a bad way, but like you want to interact with people. Like you know, if you're on Twitter and Instagram and you get a comment, like you want to engage them, and then based on the old model, it's like, oh, hey, you're in Kansas maybe Google these 25 stores and then drive around and see if you can buy a bottle. Like that's, that's just not how most of it works. So I do agree with Ryan there where a lot of these brands, they've, they've started making a big social media push and talking to the people who are buying their bottles or interested in their bottles. And they want a direct way to say, here's how we can get you a bottle and we can follow up and we can see if you liked it, didn't like it. And did you share it with friends? And so I would agree. I just think that's just going to be way more important over the next five to 10 years just because it's it's a crowded market. So if, if you can captivate an audience, you need to be able to sell them something, which is in the alcohol world kind of weird and difficult at times. So, 
Yeah, this people have in the in the chat's been asking, you know, what's what's the new law that's going to come through? You know, what's what's happening with TTB and categories of whiskey? But this this is the one. This this I, I agree with Ryan. This is the year that that's really going to get a lot of attention in a lot of different states. KDA I know is is pushing it, and they're going to continue. And it's it just makes sense. Plus, it chips away at the three tier, which there's some reason to have it but totally happy for this so i like this one ryan the only thing i'll say push back on it is that you're gonna have we the, the brands the organizations they just don't have the lobbying power and the money that they can put people in washington to sit there and advocate for it whereas republican southern i don't even know what they're their books look like, but I can guarantee it's bigger than most distillers out there. I don't believe that's true. I, you know, Beam's got some, some, I won't name names, but they got some pretty big lobbyists that they've hired to, to go and push this. So I, I think you, you're going to see brands invest even more in trying to push this. I think there's still a place for the three-tier system, but I think there's going to be a bigger push to, to move this ball forward. I don't know. That's just a insider prediction I got. All right. It's pretty much universally wanted by brands too, I would think. I, I can't imagine any brand wouldn't be for it and wouldn't participate in moving that ball forward. I can think of one. But... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's start round two. I'll, I'll go with the next one. This one, this one might be a little shocking. So in 2023, we saw a few people leave to go and do their own thing. And even back in 2022, you saw Jackie Zykin leave to go and do Hidden Barn. You saw Jane and Denny leave to start Potter Jane Distilling. Now, recently, you've seen Caleb Kilborn and Cordell Lawrence leave Peerless to go and do their own thing. So I'm going to guess in 2024, the only person that's going to have the clout that they can leave and go do their own thing is Harlan Wheatley. Oh. Wow. Would there heard it here first? My guess, and this is completely just no insider information, but I would have to say they have some sort of agreement to put his name on Wheatley Vodka that he has a non compete that is about as tight as possible. But that would be pretty interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, oh, it, it would be yeah, I mean, I I saw it and I was just like, what other master distillers are left sitting at distilleries? I mean, of course the Russells, but you know Jimmy's not going. Jimmy's done. Eddie said he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to work anymore. So what if the Van Winkles came out with something outside of Buffalo Trace? What, but that's I, my long my long lines of thinking is a a somebody else going to go start another distillery. But I don't know if the Van Winkles really don't own the brand as much as Buffalo Trace owns the brand. So yeah, and how would that look I out legally? If, if your name is is Van Winkle, can you use Van Winkle? What Ryan? if Harlan started something in Harlan County? Could he do a distillery there and still not see <laughs> like it for like the it. name? <laughs> this would be the Harlan Van Winkle set. <laughs> I guess the question I don't I don't know enough about where his leeway is, but you know, the question is is how much room does he have there on a day to day day to day basis versus how much is is 
being controlled. I mean, I, I think there's, I think there's an emotional side of it too. You know, when you look at why people go off, I mean, I think there's kind of a, it's either to accomplish something or they're just not getting something out of the relationship that they're in, in a case like that is really the thing that has to drive it. And I just, I don't know enough about what that day-to-day looks like for him to be able to fall on one side of that prediction or the other. Oh, I get it. And then that's probably back to my guess on just distillers that are leaving. I mean, most of it's because there's there was this gold rush that people were going for it and you can build a name, you can build a brand just off the the clout and the reputation that you've built. I don't know anybody else than distilling right now that has a bigger reputation than him that couldn't go off and, and potentially start his own thing. Intriguing. Juicy. I like it. Yeah, but to be fair, probably... 90% of the consumers have no idea who he is. Oh, are you kidding me? It comes out. All I used to do is hire Amy Presky and you've got the best PR person there to say, this is coming from the old master distiller Buffalo trace. Like it's, it's lightning in a bottle. That's true. Fair enough. People just, yeah, we saw it with this traveler shit. Everybody's just flocking over it. Cause it's made by Buffalo trace. Exactly. <laughs> Even though it's a crown Royal competition. <laughs> All right, so that's that's a little bit off the wall, but go ahead, next person before we start running out of time. I'll throw an easy one or a quick one. I think we're going to see more movement to the 700 ml bottles off of 750s, not just Jack and Brown Foreman. I think we're going to start seeing, you know, got to catch up with the, the glass that's already been ordered and people can wait forever to get it. But it would seem to make sense that brands would start going that direction, especially the bigger ones. Yep, I, I like her. that. I think yeah. I think we talked about this maybe say, last like year too. But this on last one, I think I, was it. I think I upped it. Yeah, I upped it to one L <laughs> though. Yeah, I didn't go yeah. down. Okay. I went up. Oh, you're thinking? I think we're gonna see both too. I mean, you, you yeah. do see Jack does a lot of seven hundreds and one Ls. Seems yeah. to be their combo, but I mean, it makes sense globally it's, too. If you're thinking coming, about global yeah. markets, yeah. It, yeah, why absolutely. wouldn't you do that? Why have a special bottle size just for here yeah i think we're just going to see more of it as as it catches up and the thing you know we started doing on our reviews too we started saying you know price per 700 ml or 750 ml because you really can't tell the difference on the shelf i've had a number of people very confused or talk to me they're very confused about the pricing for example with like jack bonded you know they're seeing the one liter they're seeing the price it doesn't align with our review they're not realizing that it's the one liter and then same thing, they're not realizing the smaller one is the 700. So it tends to be by region. Stores, I know stores around here, they all get 1Ls for some reason. No one has 700s locally uh, for, for whatever reason. And people don't even realize because it's just on the shelf there. They just see it for $49.99 and they think, oh, that's more expensive. They don't realize it's got 250 more ML in it. So it's actually not necessarily helping in that case. But then you flip the other way and you're saving a little bit, at least on the brand side. Kind of goes back to the McDonald's thing and the quarter pounder yeah. story. If you ever know that <laughs> right. one, right? Y'all can Google that one. All right, who's got another one? All right, well, Brian, you predicted prices will go up. I think prices will go down in 2024. I think because brands had such a tough year, they have extra inventory. They're going to do whatever they can to sell it, and also cost of goods have kind of stabilized and dropped down. And so, I think you're going to see prices even. I mean, you might not see it in what probably most of this audience cares about. In limited editions, they'll probably stay stagnant, but I don't see them increasing. I do see some prices uh, falling, especially like something like Booker's or 
you know, just like Elijah Craig barrel proof or something like that. I, I see prices coming down because I think economic concerns, election year, economies weird. I see prices coming down. But but do you think they can actually drop prices at this point? I would agree to the fact of like prices as a whole where we're going to see more brands popping up where if Heaven Hill did a, a remake of, you know, the, the six-year bottled and bond and brought that back, you'd see people go crazy for it. But They already just, did. It's called the seven-year bottled <laughs> and bond that's now well, $45. Know, exactly, at $45. But if they did a brought it back at whatever, seventeen ninety nine or something, people would storm the shelves. But I just think it's it's super hard for a brand to have a price increase and then be like, hey, you know, we kind of lied about why we increased the prices. We just thought we could charge that. Now we're going to charge less. I think that's going to be a hard sales point for some of them without doing it under a new brand. I think you're thinking like crazy price differences. I think, Ryan, what are you talking like two, three dollars? Yeah, I was thinking somewhere between five to ten, <laughs> you know. Somewhere around there. And I'm talking mostly mid-tier brands, you know, anything sub a hundred dollars. So I, I think I think it might be more likely to see the insertion of the lower end brand in the line. You know, thinking about what's the new Tesla that's gonna be coming out, like around twenty five thousand, gonna be highly accessible. I, I think you're gonna see more of that where you've kind of seen like the death of the sub twenty, twenty-five dollar bottle. We might see that kind of return a little bit and you know, that's where it kind of goes and it doesn't necessarily cannibalize, you know, what's there already, but might be the thing to bring people in. But I, I agree with you, Ryan. I think people are getting more price sensitive and I think they're more price sensitive around that, you know, 250 plus 500, especially, and could be more attracted to the affordable bottles. And I, I have something maybe in the middle of all this. I mean, with, again, with surplus, I keep harping on that we're going to see 12 year old whiskey return. I mean, left and right. It's, we're going to have, I think Matt had mentioned, you know, 15 year Knob Creek returns, you know, all that's going to come back. And maybe that's where they give, whereas last year, last two years, they could charge 350 for that. I'm not saying Knob Creek 15, but they could charge so much for a, a whiskey at that point in time. It's going to be a more moderate price. So, I mean, win for us, I guess. All right, who's got another one? Yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't. I won't piggyback. I, I was kind of to to Nick's point about the return of the twenty five dollar bottle. I think that'll be a big thing in twenty four, twenty five, and most likely from brands we haven't seen before. But for my call, this the bold prediction. I think there's going to be a lot more tequila and bourbon drinkers shelves this year. A little more off the wall, but. There's still that Weller 12 kind of bottle that was, you know, the the 2015 Weller 12 where it was on the shelf for 30 bucks. That still is available in the tequila world in a lot of places. So I, I just think it's a great product and has a lot of the same attributes as bourbon did, you know, seven, eight years ago. So I think there's going to be a lot of bourbon drinkers starting to dive into that world in 2024. You're wrong. But yeah, get That's, out of here. No, and I just, I mean, you read about 
the agave producers, they're, you know, they panic planted, you know, three or four years ago to catch up with demand. And now they have an influx of agave. They don't even know what to do with tequila is peaked and it's going down, if anything. And so I think, I think, I think bourbon drinkers, I think bourbon drinkers have tried tequila and they say it's not for me. Otherwise it would continue to grow. And I mean, tequila is good in a margarita. I just don't think it appeals to a bourbon drinker's palate. Some it does, but not all, I think. Someone made me a rye in a margarita. I don't know who, but I, that, I see the margarita uh, growing. By <laughs> I, mean, see, I mean, you. Yeah. <laughs> he's giving you your first hit over there. He, he's <laughs> a part of the problem with driving bourbon drinkers to mar- or to tequila. So I, I'm just, that's, that's my bold prediction for 2024. All right. So don't like it, but sure. So nobody has said there's going to be a new Weller that nobody wants. I, well, I was none of us that, but I didn't want to say that. I was like, there's yeah, going to be a new Weller. I didn't Weller, want to be that guy either. There's going to be it's a new wrong, Weller. It's wrong, Brian. There's going to be three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. We, we only do wrong predictions oh, that's here. Right. We don't do right predictions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's got another one? I think MPP is going to acquire another brand because I think they've saw the success with Penelope. I think they'll try to acquire another one and build, a, you know, I think it's just been such a success for them. They're going to really push to, to find another up and coming brand. One I look at that they might be interested is OKI. The brand has ties to, you know, to MGP because they, I think they had the, whatever the Remus brand that they sold MGP, then they start OKI. And I think it just has appeal, you know, being Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana. I don't know. I think there's maybe something there for MGP to to look at. Do you have a prediction of who you think would be a? I think OKI would be it. Hmm. That'd be a good one. I mean, of course, National Barrel Company is an easy one that comes to mind. Yeah, that's another good one too. Well, I think Smoke yeah. is always yeah. out there as a. Do we want to do that? Everybody give one prediction for who could get acquired in 2024 old elk would like be a good one a too for mgp old elk is a great one um, blake who do you think is gonna get acquired blue run <laughs> again <laughs> if i had to guess and this is i still just and this was probably my 2023 prediction i still just think barrel is out there doing a lot of great stuff with a bunch of different variety. Now they have the foundation, which is, you know, kind of in that mid market pricing and it's really good. I just think they're still primed for something like that. If I had to guess, but yeah, that's my guess. I'm going to guess peerless for so long. They said they're never, ever selling. They built their company to never sell. And they've clearly been on the market now for like two years. They, they, they want to sell, so they're going to sell. They just lost their master distiller too. Yeah, so exactly. There's going to be a need for it. All right. Well, I'll go. It, the the brand was already mentioned. Still, Austin. I think they're they're poised to get bought out by somebody. Yeah. Pursuit is my next. <laughs> we keep saying it's like, please, somebody put us out of our misery. Yes, <laughs> we'll take it. Please put us out of our misery. MGP for five hundred million dollars. <laughs> 
We'll take it. What, even, what though, even though we built a brand not on MGP. Yeah. Doesn't kinda, matter. We screwed ourselves there. <laughs> what what about you, Nick? Who do you think is gonna get acquired? Oh this year? man, I you know, I, I thought about this a little bit. I, I veered away from trying to make this prediction, but I mean I guess I'll just make commentary on as far as a complimentary brand. I, I do think Smoke Wagon's branding complements Penelope's branding in that it's very op- opposite in that sense. If you were to think about, you know, if MGP was to say, you know, we've, we're really reaching different ends of the spectrum with what we're doing, I think, you know, one kind of doesn't impose on the other necessarily at all, but they actually complement each other very nicely. So I think that would be, I think it'd be an acquisition that would make sense, to be honest with you. And then I think that would actually make the smoke wagon products, you know, take a, a big step forward as well, just like we're going to see, I think, with with Penelope. Ryan, did you have one? Oh, gosh. You know, they, y'all said. So you're looking at your, your I know. wall of bobbles over <laughs> well, there. Everybody said everything already. I mean, I would, oh, gosh, that's so tough. I mean, it's put it this way. It's never one that you expect. Like whoever saw, you know, Sagamore, whoever predicted that one last year, nobody. That's true. It, you Pursuit know, I'm just, buys I'm just looking. Buffalo Trace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think what it's going to have to happen is we have to just do a barrel pick there. And, you know, I got to fall down the stairs <laughs> and get a good lawsuit. <laughs> no. Brian's there oh, to witness. That, call me. I'm there. <laughs> that's, that's, that's our only chance. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Barrel's a good one, but I just don't know that Trip and Joe want to sell. But, you know, they, I agree, the foundation was fantastic and it was needed for quite some time, I think, from their lineup. It was that price point that they were missing. I mean, Old Elk to me would be probably the most logical answer, but I don't know. You know, they, you know, they're owned by the Otterbox people, so they might have the, the funding and might not need it. So, uh, gosh, I mean, I just look and I don't know of any brands that are right for a company that would want to buy, you know, it just it wouldn't make sense for them. You know, maybe, maybe like a pin hook or something. Cause they are, you know, a lot of MGP. I could see somebody, I could see castle and key maybe getting bought out by someone just cause they have the capacity, they have contract distillation, they have good branding, you know, if, Someone needs production, but according to Brian, no one needs more production because we're glutted. So, it, you know, and people are saying Ben Holiday. I, I don't know. I think they still got to be a TBD. You know, they're they're winning in the niche market, but I don't necessarily see them winning. You know, a, a broad mass consumers quite yet. So I think they're they still got to prove themselves in the market as a whole. Uh, I, I, I like your uh, still Austin. That to me is the the most exciting brand for me coming up. I just absolutely love everything they're doing. I think they're they're great. They got great branding, great price points, fantastic whiskey. I think that's a a really good brand for to look at. Curious if you think it would be a buy from an existing whiskey company or completely outside some a company that wants to get into it. Yeah, I would have that. I would think it would be, yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't see, I don't, I don't see acquisitions happening except from MGP this year. I think, you know, there's a lot of things for brands to figure out, and I don't think adding another brand to portfolios is in the interest. So it'd probably be private equity, or, you know, a big capital, you know, hedge fund type person that just wants to get in the game, and the the owners of Still Austin just want a big return on it. I don't know. 
I feel like those are the ones that are hard to predict too. Somebody yep. you've never heard of buying someone, you're like, what's going on? And then it makes sense once once you look at it in the rear view. Yep. Yeah. And then it, I know it wasn't any of our predictions, but I have heard it from multiple people that are predicting that you'll see Bardstown and Green River now get sold off from Pritzker because they're going to look for return on their investment. Mm. Who knows? Yeah. But I've heard a lot of people kind of yeah. throw that. I don't out see that. 24. I, I don't see that. Pritzker's in great financial shape. They're in, you know, in manufacturing, mostly manufacturing has low margins. They really love the margins of distilling the contract distillation side. They love the cash flow of it. I, I think Pritzker, if anything, might double down and they would be acquiring other contract facilities. That's where I could see that happening. Like Ben Holiday. All right, uh, last one. <laughs> That's right. Anything? <laughs> do you all see any brands getting spun off by larger companies? There was just somebody in the the chat that said, "What about <clears throat> Rabbit Hole?" And I was like, "Well, Rabbit Hole is owned by Pernod, so they would have to spin it off." I mean, is there any potential spin offs well, I mean, where you see brands uh, change hands? That was, that's what like the Mary Dowling was with the spin out of Rabbit Hole, or is that not what we're saying? Or you're is, is that a no? Kave uh, it's Kave's other brand, but he's got funding from Pernod yeah, to actually go and build it. So you're it's still a Pernod-ish based. Hey, yeah. Pritzker sells off Green River type of thing. I, as in, yeah, yeah. They I mean I don't, they I don't sell see off to another much of that firm or private I, I feel like you, you know while people are still seeing stuff slow and grow slow. Everybody's pretty, seems pretty happy with where the spirits world's going, but I don't know. I mean, I guess we could, you know, it, it seems like the big guys change hands with, you know, the early times and who's the other, you know, on, on some of that with fairly good consistency. But since we're just. Yeah. I mean, you saw Brown Foreman spun off. Uh, what was the big vodka brand um, this past Finlandia. year? There you go. Uh, Finlandia. Um, Finlandia, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I mean you, you see this stuff happen all the time. Yeah. Old granddad just gets spun back to Castle and Key to be made at the original National Distillers Distillery. I think <laughs> just just throw a, a wild prediction out there. I like that one. one. All right. I just had a revelation. I think one brand that's prime for acquisition is Uncle Nearest. I think they oh, have yeah. massive distribution. Yeah. They have, they've got uh, they got a story. They got story. They got wide appeal. Yeah. They they've done nothing but build Ability themselves up yeah. for something like this to sell. Yes. Yep. Yeah. That, that's a. I think that's a great prediction, Ryan. I, and I, it, it's occurring to me too that you know if we are seeing kind of slowdown, you know we are seeing the growth taper and pull back. There's going to be brands that are over leveraged, over committed. You know we could see blood in the water where you have some kind of surprising exits just out of necessity as well. Not necessarily the plan or the smart move, but kind of just the opportunistic type of situation where people get in over their heads and we, you know, there's not seeing the growth and, and, and market that they predicted and they kind of get stuck having to get bought out because of it. So it, that could come along with this change too, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that was one of my predictions too that I didn't want to talk about, but I'm going to since you said it. But I do see a, a lot of brands closing up shop this year. I think there's a lot of people that got on the market three, four years ago. 
thought it was going to be an easy game. Had a really tough year. Distributors aren't bringing on new brands. They're not giving new brand support. And I think I think there's going to be a lot of doors closing, unfortunately, starting this year, but especially probably moving into 25. Yeah. Uh, when you think brands, you think more along the lines of distilleries. Yes, distilleries. Thing, probably a lot of outside brands are going to be. Mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of people just thought they could source and throw a label on it, put it out there, and it's it's a harder game than that. And I think there's going to be a lot that you're not going to that you saw on shelves that you're not going to see anything new come from out of them, and you're not going to hear about them anymore. Okay, great. Just notice okay. in the chat here, uh, Sean Garrity talking about Uncle Nearest, maybe purchased by Jack Daniels or Brown Foreman. That would be that'd be interesting to see that. Take take the legacy back. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, who could tell yeah. it? But you know, they they look Jack has incredible they have incredible reach with that brand. Very complimentary. Uh, well, I mean, here's the thing is like I think Uncle Nearest raised a, a shit ton of capital. They they went really wide really fast. I mean, they, they, I don't know how much money they're spending, but they are spending a shit ton yeah. of money, mm-hmm. and they're they're definitely building it to sell. So, if you're the likes of Brown Foreman, you see that, and you're gonna wait till mm-hmm. it's like the actual the right time. Like, mm-hmm. is this thing actually gonna take off? Is it gonna falter? Is it gonna fail? Or is it really? You got to get it before they really take off, and that's. That's you just got to get it like right at the peak before it goes up on the rocket ship is where you got to acquire them. Or they they're fall, sort of they good. At, they're, they're sort of good at that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Brown is good at that. Yeah, and yeah. this this industry is very deceiving. You think a brand's killing it because you see them everywhere, but it's really that just they spend a shit ton of money to get product out in market, but then it's mm-hmm. got to move off the shelves. So that's TBD. Yep. All right. Rapid fire, quick go. If you have one last thing that you want to predict for the rest of the year. Old Crow becomes a premium brand. There you go, Dave Ooh. Jennings. <laughs> okay. More celebrity right. whiskeys. Well, that's a yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we know that's going to happen. What about you, Nick? You got another good one uh, for us? American single malt going to be more defined and going to see that continue to grow. Yeah, doubt it. <laughs> Didn't say you have to like it, Kenny. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm sure there'll be at least five people that like it. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. We're, we're going to be recording soon with somebody part of American Single Malt Whiskey Society. So I'm, I'm going to try to keep myself open for it. All right. I'll give to one is I think we're going to see a big comeback on decanter shaped bottles. Uh, we saw, of course, everybody goes nuts for old fits. You saw Ed Bly come out recently with his old stubborn. And I think you're going to see this trend continue with decanter styles in the premium category. That's a good prediction. I like that. Looks looks nice on the shelf. I think you're going to have another decade, like 1944 from Old Forester or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's There you go. And then last one I'll have is that even though I think it's still going to be another down year for mid-tier bourbon, I, I think it's still going to be another tough year going into 2024. Last year, we kind of saw the death of barrel picks. I think they're going to come back, but not as strong as they were, especially for the mid-tier. You're going to see a lot more variety of people that are wanting. I think people are going to get bored of seeing the same six types of barrel picks that you can get at these liquor stores. So you're going to see a little more variety sprinkled in, but it's not going to be the 2020 to 2021 days. 
makes sense. I'll throw my last one in there, piggyback on that. I think that bottle label design, you guys have already said it in different ways. I think brands are going to be really putting a massive effort into that to get that mind share on the shelf and in front of you, especially as they're more putting stuff up, up on social media, trying to catch it with that real quick look. I know people, uh, I shop for beer. If it catches my eye, I'm looking at it, see, isn't any good. I, I We're going to see a lot more attention paid to labels and bottles and that kind of thing. Yep. Last prediction, and maybe because I want to be true, people will respect blending, and Tennessee bourbon will start to get become more popular and people become more accepting of it now that there's more producers that is not just dickle and jack daniels because i think there's some great producers in tennessee coming up old dominic and leapers fork being one of them and one undisclosed one in columbia tennessee (laughs) (laughs) they do nice yep yeah all right well fellas that was a good breakdown of everything that we're going to see as our predictions come for 2024 i wish i was writing these downs because come december of this year i'm going to go back and re-listen to this to figure out what we said and to see what actually came true but i am excited as much as well as you and everybody else in the chat and everybody else is listening to see what 2024 holds for not only just american whiskey but most importantly bourbon well Let's go ahead and do our sign-off. So, Brian, I'll let you go ahead and start it. All right. This was a fun one. I love being wrong. So find me at Sipping Corn Bourbon Justice. Thanks, guys. For sure. Nick. All right. So this was tons of fun. Happy New Year. Looking forward to a great 2024. Going to hit that 100th episode. And so, yeah, looking forward to running back. I I think we fired enough predictions to at least get some of them right. So I think we're just attacking it with numbers this year. So we'll just kind of highlight those. (laughs) So this is a lot of fun, though. So, you know, great, great chat. A lot of great uh, comments, too. But always fun. Cheers, everybody. That's going to be it. Like I said, I'm really excited to see what's going to unfold this year. I know we all have big plans and other kind of goals and aspirations that we're hitting as a part of our side as well as Pursuit as well as Pursuit Spirits. And I hope you do too. Make sure you set yourself your goals high, aim high, and let's see what 2024 has in store for us. So with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.